Welcome to Successful Parenting, where we, Jackie Rue and Robin Choquette, share practical skills for families to build resilience and healthy connections. As practicing professionals and parents ourselves, we hope this podcast is a resource for parents to grow, reflect, and learn more about themselves and their children. Our approach is simple, tangible, and most importantly, we lead with compassion for the integrity of the families we serve. This podcast should not be taken as medical advice and is intended for informational purposes only. We love our work and we can't wait to watch families gain confidence and open themselves up to new ways of successful parenting. Good afternoon, Robin. How are you doing? I am good. I've got a little bit of a cold. I don't know if you can tell it through my voice, but I'm feeling really good. It's just a little bit of a stuffy nose and all of that stuff. I think it's going around this time of year, right? Yeah. Luckily, knock on wood, I have not not (laughs) yet, but I am hopeful. Well, I hope you feel better and I can definitely pick up the pace on this one today. Um, I am super excited about our guest expert today because I have known her and admired her for over 20 years. Is that been that long? Wow. It has been. It actually has. Because we were working in self-injury, right? At that time? Um, I had actually met her a little bit earlier when I was working in inpatient, but, and I know many professionals and I'm sure listeners today will have had some interaction or have heard about Dr. Delia Aldridge's work. She's impressed me for a long time, uh, not just because of her knowledge, but the ways she interacts with her colleagues, her patients. She's got a very caring, uh, non-judgmental approach She is a board-certified psychiatrist, as we know, and she is the medical director for Chicago Suburbs Eating Recovery Center and Pathlight Mood and Anxiety Center. And these treatment centers offer a whole wide array of, of different treatments from individual to group to partial and IOP through residential. And I've referred many patients there just to work with Dr. Aldridge, and we've had great, great experiences there. So super excited just to have a discussion today about a topic that is near and dear to me and, and really supporting us in terms of having a healthy relationship with our bodies and food, as well as understanding more about what we've been seeing more and more of since the pandemic, eating disorders, disordered eating, coming to light. And I've seen an increase in my office since the pandemic. I don't right. know about you. Yeah, I have too. And not only with adolescents and children, I'm seeing it with young adults. Those who were in college during the time of the pandemic, there was a lot of frustration and anger, a high spike in that population as well. So absolutely. Well, without much ado, Dr. Aldridge, we are so excited to have you here today. Yay. Welcome, Dr. Aldridge. Hello. Hello. And it's so nice to get to talk to you again. And uh, thank you and very honored to be invited for your wonderful, successful parenting podcast. I do feel we all know somebody that has some trouble with an eating disorder or body image. Really delighted to be here. And thank you for invitation. Yeah, I agree. When we were talking about that earlier, I think a lot of times I will find parents say, I had no clue. I did not know. So I guess we kind of want to start it off. Even if you feel like this is not in your family, listen kind of hear this out. You may find some really great information for yourself to have some knowledge, right? I hope so. I hope uh, I can uh, give some tips to the families and give some uh, direction if 
I feel like some of those tips, uh, I've been through them myself. So it's not just as a parent as a, and as a professional as well. Well, and it's interesting, Dr. Aldridge, and you and I have talked about this before. As an adult right now, I think I've learned so much. But when I think about how even my mom talked about food and how adults, you know, when I was a kid talked about food is, do you really yes. need to eat that or, or don't eat that or that's going to make you fat or, you know, and then it was the whole trend came out with lean cuisines and non-fat foods and everybody was on these like crazy diets. And that was kind of a, a normal for me growing up. I've really tried to be mindful of that with my own daughters, because I think so often we bring, you know, our, through our parenting, what what we were taught as kids. And I, I do think for many of us adults, the way we talk about our bodies and food and, and losing weight and gaining weight just really does impact our kids. Well, at the same way, I would say I grew up and I didn't know better. But now with all this epidemic of issues with food and body image, you know, we're flooded with diet culture, new diets every day, every week, the kids are on social media every day, and they actually get uh, a lot of messages. It, it's really hard as a parent to say, what can I do to make sure my kid is in the right path and has a good relationship with their food and their body image? Yeah. Dr. Aldridge, can you tell us a little about your history and what brought you to working with this population? Because you are just so amazing and, and watching you work with clients and the families and you can really see how they connect with you. Like what brought you there? Because I keep thinking there's got to be some passion there for you in terms of your work. Well, so um. Uh, when I graduated from my residency, I have to say I didn't know nothing about eating disorder, but I was working with women issues and I wanted to continue work in that field. Okay. And while I was doing a lot of postpartum work and pregnancy and mood and anxiety issues, I started to get a lot of patients that wanted a female therapist. And because the program where I was working at that time had an eating disorder, PHB, and they eventually had an inpatient unit, I ended up having to take care of eating disorder patients. And I didn't know much until one day, one of the kids that I had in the inpatient unit gained 10 pounds in three days. So I kind of went to the team and I said, well, what do we do about this? Well, I was told, I don't know, you're the doctor. So <laughs> I started to go to eating disorder conferences, learn about what is this thing going on? How can somebody gain 10 pounds in three days. Well, it's called refeeding syndrome. So I would say after a couple of years of going to all the possible in sort of conference, I became it. And now I have to say, I'm proud to be actually leading a training group for physicians that want to specialize in eating disorder. I say, everybody, anybody wants to learn about eating disorder, I'll be happy to mentor. <laughs> so that's where I started. You have a passion really working with self-image regulation and, and making sure the family is part of the treatment as well. Besides, you know, I know we often advise, you know, family members just to be mindful of how they talk about kind of food and how they even approach it. Are there any other tips that you would have for parents just trying to really build healthy self-image with their children as well as just healthy relationships with food overall? Yes, I would say first and foremost, prioritize family meals. There was a study done in 2017 that was a review of research showing that actually family meals are a protective factor against disordered eating. Family meals offer an opportunity to model flexible eating, discourage dieting, and observe your child's eating in a less stressful setting. Sometimes you can even spot if there's an issue. Dieting can actually become a gateway to behavior that later on can lead to an eating disorder or also lead to a higher weight when 
they become adults. Sometimes when the kids are involved in the meal planning, shopping, preparation, their interest in trying a variety of different foods tend to increase. And there's also a sense of pride and ownership that comes with seeing a meal, a dish, or baking a project from the start to finish. I think also important as parents to model a positive relationship with food. And as you mentioned earlier, we don't always realize it, but our children are listening to us. And so it's very important to try not to talk about weight, calories, or dieting in front of your child. The uh, research shows that engaging in weight-focused conversation can set up kids sometimes to feel like guilty about their own food or about their appearance. And also the, the studies show that if parents have a negative impression about their own bodies, sometimes kids can pick up on that and become dissatisfied with their bodies and start being concerned about getting fat or wanting to be thin or sometimes engage in unhealthy behaviors. I have to say I had a few cases where diet, diet, mother, daughter, father, daughter, or son started a diet and the parents didn't lose one ounce, but the kids lost 20 to 30 pounds. Wow. So I feel it's important to be aware. I mean, I didn't know better. You know, we all grew up with those messages from our parents sometimes. Mm. And I was kind of surprised when I actually started seeing some of those cases coming in. And I always like to ask, how did this all start? What happened? You know, and it's interesting. We've talked about this, too. It's, you know, when somebody loses weight, you know, usually people are like, you look so great. Like, how did you do it? You know, you look so wonderful. And then put on a couple pounds. No one's like, wow, like, great job. (laughs) It's almost like you see sometimes um, at family events and be mindful of when you're going to family events, how family members talk about food and respond. And I've had kids tell me that they've lost weight or gained weight. And the responses from the family are really either validating for them or make them feel very shameful. Yeah. There's a study done by Rebecca Puell that showed that the weight-based teasing and bullying impacted people well into adulthood. And often the bullying from the family, which sometimes might not be even intended, actually tend to be more hurtful than peers bullying. It's something interesting fact that 81% of 10-year-olds are afraid of being fat. That's one of her um, studies results. At the age of 10, 81% are afraid of being fat. That's a recent study. That's huge. Yeah. That's a huge number. With social media, they all, they need to look like this, right? I mean, I have kids show me all the time different pictures of of different images on social media, and they're not always aware that they're filtered and things like that. And it can be telling when you see kind of what they're really seeing on Instagram and all those other sites. Absolutely. And they're on their phones and social media all day long. Right. I think it's interesting because as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, the holidays and as Jackie said, families and people are coming together and things are often sad in those moments. If you know that that is something that happens, because I'm thinking about a case that I've worked with and the child would point back to certain comments that a family member would say, and that has not left them. They still struggle to this day with those comments. How do you start that conversation with the child? What would you recommend? Well, problem is sometimes that when I actually had a couple of kids myself that mentioned that they still have those things that set in. And sometimes you never know when it's going to actually be brushed off and when is it going to be something that stays with the kid. And a lot of the uh, recommendations 
what we talk and what we educate parents about is importance of uh, learning that all food are okay in moderation. Try to avoid kind of uh, moralizing the food into good food, bad food, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that happens a lot. And often showing that if the kids are restricted from certain foods, they become more obsessed with it. And actually they end up craving more of the foods that are bad. So it's also important what messages we give. Or sometimes we all grew up, I grew up with the message that you need to finish your plate. Well, actually experts recommend not pushing for that because children learn to ignore their internal signals of fullness. And again, holidays are times when everybody gathers around a meal and we see everybody eating everything and kind of having a plan maybe when the kids you know they have some issues they sometimes avoid going to parties they sometimes avoid going to gatherings because they're too stressed so pre-planning sometimes may help as well obviously not commenting on appearance and size it's very important rather than teaching the kids to learn to use the positive effects of their bodies. Like, I love my arms because they allow me to hug you or not focus on how the body looks. It's very important. I love that. What are some types of eating disorders and disordered eating patterns that you've been seeing with, you know, whether it's children, teens, adults, um, and how young have you seen that it's typically been starting with some of the disordered eating? Yeah, actually, the mean age of onset is about 12 years old, 12 and a half. But there have been cases documented as young as six years old. We also noticed that the prevalence in younger males, ethnic or racial minority is increasing as well. And since pandemic, we uh, noticed an increase in hospitalizations of adolescents with eating disorder up to 25% higher than uh, before that. As far as most common types of eating disorders, we have anorexia, nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and the binge eating disorder. These Most people heard about anorexia nervosa, where the child refuses to eat adequate calories, and they have a lot of fear, irrational fear of becoming overweight or fat. And the hallmark of anorexia is that patients they don't feel like there's a problem with them, and they see themselves heavy even when they're dangerous and skinny. Sometimes they're also becoming obsessed with being thin and refuse to maintain even a minimally normal weight. Bulimia nervosa is a condition in which a child grossly overweeds, we call it binge, and then purges the food either by vomiting or using laxatives or excessive exercise to prevent uh, weight gain. They often have also trouble with their sense of loss of control during an episode of binges, and they feel disgusted and ashamed after a binge episode. Often patients can engage in vomiting, using laxatives, diet pills, diuretics, or even enemas. Uh, I have remember a case where both mother and daughter were going for enemas, which I feel like very unusual ritual. Now, binge eating disorder is a condition in which a child may engage only on eating out of control without compensatory behaviors. And interestingly, Binge eating disorder is three times more common than anorexia and bulimia combined. It's also more common than breast cancer, HIV, or schizophrenia. And unfortunately... I want to stop that for a second. It's three times more common than anorexia, right? And Yep. And bulimia nervosa combined. Wow. And then what did you say about breast cancer? I want to go back to that. It is more common than breast cancer 
Wow. HIV and schizophrenia. So that is sometimes, and the problem with it is often patients or people don't really talk about these things because there's a lot of shame associated with the binge episode. Also, a lot of times you could say about 45% of patients with binge eating disorder are actually normal weight. 55% could be overweight and obese. A good proportion might not even talk. I've had situations where people would rather talk about their trauma than talk about their binge eating because they're so ashamed of it. Well, and it's interesting, and I'm so glad that you're working Dr. Aldridge, with, you know, physicians, because I know a lot of my clients, you know, some of the comments that medical professionals will say. I had a doctor recently that said to one of my clients, you look fine. You know, like they don't always, you know, know how to respond if somebody is in the average weight range. I think they assume, well, you must not have an eating disorder. And it's not always about the weight, correct? I mean, you can be, like you said, totally average weight range and still have an eating disorder. And I have a hard time with this sometimes too, is is approaching when we're talking about obesity as, as a medical concern. Do you have any suggestions on how you talk about that with clients or what approach you take? Well, talking about often the two questions that we're more likely to ask is, do you ever have any difficulty uh, managing the food? And how do you feel about your body? You know, asking the kids, because sometimes patients or people might not be comfortable talking about what they're doing. They don't even know, know that something's wrong with them yeah. or they're very ashamed to actually talk about. So then typically if they respond that there's a problem with their food or uh, sometimes anybody telling you you need to eat more and you don't feel like eating, there's uh, some screening questionnaires that can be given to the kids to tease out um, any issues in that respect. I was just going to ask if parents do have that concern, what should they do if they have concerns about their pattern of eating? So it could be either overeating or not eating enough. Mm -hmm. Sometimes parents can notice that the kids are not really eating because there are certain situations that make them nervous. I always say recommend to maybe talk first with their pediatrician because that's the first line of being a checkup, checking if the kid's growth is kind of going on par. Often, some kids, it's hard to tell when they're always been underweight uh, because maybe they've been picky eaters. And at some point, uh, they're completely dropping off the growth chart curve. And that's the time when maybe it's important to look into whether they stop meeting their growth potential. Uh, I had a situation where I had twins where they have like five inch between one of the other kid. And finally, parents realize that maybe there's something going on because this kid is five inches shorter and they're eighth grade, but they look like a fifth grader. And that was because they have growth stunting due to poor nutrition. So starting with your pediatrician, next step would be to actually look into some education. What are the uh, signs of an eating disorder? How can a parent help? And there's a bunch of organizations and programs that actually help parents learn about a little bit more about eating disorder. First, I would say definitely if indeed a kid has any kind of issues with eating, do not blame yourself because often the concept, the myth in the past was that uh, eating disorder is caused by parents and it's absolutely not the case. Often, you know, historically, parents have been blamed for any kind of mental illness or eating disorder. However, parents do not cause an eating disorder. Eating disorder are complex diseases that actually are often caused by some genetic vulnerability and actually 
parents can be an essential role in recovery for the patient. So I would say there's a lot of myth out there about eating disorder in general, even like often people think it's about food and it's actually not really often has to do with being in control, meaning to control calorie, control situations. Sometimes they're rooted in biological, psychological, or social cultural aspects. And sometimes it could be a genetical component. So often uh, when we treat eating disorder, we look at the medical aspect, the psychiatric aspect, the therapy component, and dietary component in order to achieve full recovery. Well, and I like how you talked about the family because so often I find that it can be so much about communication within the family also. And things like restricting or even binge eating can really be a form of communication that a lot of times, you know, I encourage focusing on on that because I think it does become a power struggle, right? For many parents will say they feel like they're chasing the kids around, they're having to make the meals, they're having to change the meals. Because I think so often as parents, we react out of anxiety as opposed to, okay, what's really going to be helpful in in supporting my child? Absolutely. I mean, I've been there myself where I find sometimes the tendency to, oh, he doesn't like this one. Oh, it's because he doesn't like this brand. So I got to buy the other brand that it's more likely that my kid is going to eat. Or we want to get up and have the tendency to want to offer something else if the kid won't eat. And often might not have to do with the food might be that the kid is upset or anxious. So ideally is that uh, we should try to keep up with a set schedule, make sure we offer three meals and at least two snacks and kind of work on resisting that tendency to want to accommodate. And often, you know, there's a lot of temptation to go to cook something else that the kid will eat because they're just picky eater. But sometimes what happens is that kids can learn from our response and actually start kind of becoming in charge of what happens in the family. Sometimes if parents use food for control or for bribery, then the battle over food becomes a way for the kid to be in in control of what happens around them. So it's very important not to force anything. Make sure that we try to serve colorful, rainbow, use the all food groups are fit in the meal, making sure that they have all five food groups as much as possible, like grains, vegetables, fruits, protein, and dairy at each meal. It's also interesting, like the true picky kids, apparently the studies show that you've got to offer at least six to 15 times of the same new food before the kid would actually be more likely to try or actually to be able to continue taking it. So there's some research into that too. Uh, Make sure they eat at regular times too. And sometimes our kids have so many of these special drinks that sometimes having too much sugary drinks gets them full and they don't have the hunger sensation anymore. So these are a few tips for families. As you said, it can get crazy times with the family schedule to make it consistent. I often hear people will say, well, we're trying to cut back on carbs, so we're not going to have breads and grains and stuff like that. You know, just having that awareness of what you're doing can really help because parents do feel really guilty, right? Yeah, then often we don't even realize that we give those messages to our kids. Mm -hmm. Um, I really sometimes struggle with some of the excessive preoccupation with clean eating. So it becomes so much obsession that some 
patients I've had, we call it orthorexia, when somebody is obsessively restricting their diet to be healthy. They're so healthy that they become unhealthy, actually. Their heart rate comes in low, and they start having circulatory problems and low white count, and people don't even realize. So bottom line is that you're not getting enough nutrition because you're so preoccupied with getting the healthy food. I've had situation where I've had you know, had to struggle with some parents commenting on the carbs and the junk. And again, the bottom line is everything's good in moderation. And, you know, an anecdote about my own kid, he was in kindergarten and he came home one day and showed me a package and saying, what does it say, mom here? How many calories? I said, honey, it's not about the calories. What you look on the label is servings. You look how many pieces of whatever candy or whatever was in a serving. And that's what you're going to look at. And if you want to have a second, you can have a second anytime. So now I can actually have cookies and I have candy. My kid won't even worry about that because he learns to look at the serving size rather than the calories. Oh, I like that. And I've seen in my practice, several athletes who've come in and it does start off and the parents will say, I just thought they were really trying to clean eat or they were really trying to be in terms of their sport very thoughtful of that. And I've seen, unfortunately, some coaches who also encourage that. With those athletes, kind of what are your thoughts around? Well, so definitely the benefits of the sports are well recognized, like help build self-esteem. Sometimes team sports build teamwork, promotes physical conditioning, teaches a foundation of lifelong physical activity. The problem can be, uh, and actually the National uh, Eating Disorder Association estimates that about 33% of male athletes in an aesthetic sport or weight class sport are affected by eating disorder. And often we also see an increased risk of eating disorder in athletes in those kind of fields. So it is very important to actually educate the parents and even the coaches about uh, importance of not compromising the meal times, importance of not exercising when injured. These are a few warning signs to look for. Uh, sometimes excessive cutting of calories or fat gets them to actually become significantly underweight. And I've had a few kids with, not a few, a good proportion of kids, I would say, that uh, started by wanting to be healthy cut the carbs, cut the junk food. And then before you know it, they become so emaciated that they didn't get enough nutrition. Therefore, they won't be able to actually get much muscle. The good thing is when kids are motivated to get back to their sport, that is a great motivator to use in recovery. Yes. So getting those kids evaluated by a medical professional that actually specializes in eating disorder is very important because Often there's a misconception that if they're an athlete, they're going to have a low heart rate. And actually, when they do, we call it the walk test. They sit down, get a blood pressure, stand up, check again, blood pressure and pulse. Sometimes the pulse can kind of skyrocket from sitting and standing because the heart is malnourished. Therefore, it's a, I call it a starved uh, heart rather than an athlete heart. So when you see that, what's called tachycardia upon position change or drop in blood pressure, that's actually an indicator that that athlete needs more nutrition and that athlete low heart rate is actually because of the poor nutrition when it's correlated, obviously, with weight loss. And that's a lot of times I've had even physicians actually say that to patients saying uh, it has to do with the fact that there's very limited education in, uh, about eating disorder and training. Well, and I think, you know, Dr. Aldridge, many of the families I work with have a hard time limiting the sport. 
we have that conversation. And oftentimes I know when I'm working with, whether it's a child or an adult, often I'm working alongside a dietitian, working alongside the psychiatrist and the pediatrician. It really is a comprehensive approach where we're all coming together and, and collaborating. But I know that sometimes that is a very difficult conversation to have is when it is time to limit the sport or the physical exercise. And sometimes I have female adolescents that they've stopped getting their period and things like that. Those are warning signs that it really is time to take a step back and really look at where we are in treatment. I feel one of the positive things that I've noticed in the last few years is actually a lot of schools required a health physical for sports, a specific physical for sports that's going to be you know, maybe measuring an EKG or get some vitals rather than just join the sport. So often, actually, when school starts, we see a lot of patients coming in for treatment because they are detected during those sports physical or school physical. So I feel like a lot of schools actually try to give the right message. It's also important to partner with their coaches because coaches are so influential in how the kids learn and how the kids perform that uh, as long as I would say they have promote a lot of motivation, they promote positive influence on the kids, uh, how to feel like satisfied with their performance and understand the need for balance. Because at the point where they exercise while they're injured, that becomes a real problem. What would you say to a parent or a family member that just says, my child is is just a picky eater and will only eat certain foods? Well, like I mentioned earlier, it's very important to resist that urge to get up and give them something different. It's also important to keep offering them variety. Like if we have sometimes kids with what's called RFID, uh, which is the avoided restricting food intake disorder, sometimes could be the picky kids, but often it becomes a disorder where it interferes with their functioning. So being aware that at some point limiting the amount of, sometimes they come in and say, oh, they only eat five foods. Well, so we build on the foods they eat, and then we actually do exposures with different variety. Again, like I mentioned earlier, keep in mind you have to offer a new food at 6 to 15 times before the kid might actually be able to incorporate in their daily meals. But definitely working with the dietitian if you feel like your kid has any kind of issues like that. And again, keep in mind the function of that picky eating. Sometimes could be textures, smell, taste which sometimes some kids with a spectrum, autism spectrum, might be on this picky side. Or sometimes like some kids only like this brand of uh, oatmeal or that brand of bagels. Obviously, we actually create sometimes that pickiness by offering always what they want rather than making sure that we always offer variety. And even if the kid doesn't eat, two hours later, we can offer something else. Well, and I think that's helpful. I think this has been really actually, this is helpful for me. And it's a good reminder that, you know, early early prevention and, and being a little bit more proactive is always going to be helpful. What I find, the longer it goes on, the harder it is to treat. Absolutely. I feel even if you're not sure, always start with a pediatrician and they often know somebody in the community that treats eating disorder, obviously often a specialist, a therapist or a dietitian specializing are very important in providing support and education to the parents. 
I feel the most important thing is for parents, if they suspect, uh, start by educating themselves and bringing up their concern with their pediatrician, or if they have a mental health professional, they they can consult as well. Yes, I, I agree. And I, and I think often I share with families, you know, not to emotionally react or all of a sudden, you know, change everything in the home, but really kind of be mindful of where the child's at and, and what the child needs, because I do think so many, you know, families get worried and then they start to kind of react differently and it really can reinforce some things. Yeah. I mean, sometimes like I think some, some of the kids that are picky eater, they learn that if they refuse something, they get something in return right. and then that becomes a way for them to feel special. Or sometimes we just feel like we failed our kid if we didn't offer something else to eat. And I feel like learning to be consistent and not overreact is very important and make sure that kids don't feel like they're pressured because often that becomes uh, actually a bigger power struggle rather than a time when meals should be pleasant, should be surrounded by comfortable conversation. Often, I would say a lot of our culture is kids kind of sit in front of a some sort of device and ideally is to actually take away the devices during meals so they can focus on their plate rather than mindless eating or they could be too distractive if they sometimes they play or watch tv while they eat absolutely absolutely yeah. this was super helpful absolutely love this conversation i know we could keep this going on for quite some time but it's probably time for us to be wrapping it up what do you think jackie yes i do I know you have some questions to ask Dr. Aldridge. Dr. Aldridge, you can answer one, two, or all three. It's really up to you, whatever you want. And here are the three questions. Tell us one of your funny parenting stories. Now, this could be from your own as a parent or when in your childhood. Number two is what TV, family, or movie would you want to be a part of and why? And three is what does successful parenting mean to you? I would probably start with the last one, because I feel like successful parenting is actually being able to help your kid become the best version of themselves. And my upbringing was very competitive. I'm actually hoping that my child actually finds a, a better balance, I would say, in life than the way I grew up working very hard. But then later on, you know, I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to work in the mental health field. And learned about the importance of balance. So that's part of, you know, a little bit of parenting and a little bit of successful parenting. I do feel that ideally what I wish for my kid and what I feel is a successful parenting would be is if I help my kid become a balanced emotionally and balanced physical type of adult and actually be able to have him choose his own path in life rather than have to be the way I grew up basically, again, another parenting thing, be constantly pressured, I would say. I, I guess that was the culture when I was growing up. So I wish my kid to become the best version of himself and be the best he can be. Kind of how we opened up. I think that's how you are with patients too. I mean, I think that's one thing that's always really attracted to me to your style is because you seem to invest so much and keep looking at different options and alternatives. And I think you've taught many doctors and professionals just really kind of about the research and about the approaches. I know you've taught me so much, so I appreciate it. I thank you both, Robin and Jackie, for inviting me. I hope, again, I can be a resource to any parent that has questions in the future. And I really feel that most rewarding uh, part of uh, being a psychiatrist working with eating disorder is actually seeing the kids going back to their life and live 
fullest. Well, thank you, Dr. Aldridge. In our description, listeners will uh, share some information. Dr. Aldridge is going to be giving us some links to some organizations that will be helpful for you. Also, uh, we can provide some information regarding uh, where Dr. Aldridge uh, works at the Eating Recovery Center and uh, some links to that. They have some free resources there as well. So in our description, we'll have all of that. So thank you, Dr. Aldridge. Thank you. It was uh, an honor to be talking to you today. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you. you, And I hope we get to do this soon. I know we've had a lot of requests, so we might be asking you back. All right. Thank you. Thanks everyone for joining us today. Bye, Jackie. Bye. Bye, Jackie and Robin. Thank you for joining us and make sure to subscribe and like us to catch our next episode where we will take you on a journey to find new ways of successful parenting.